Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We do this when we have visiting speakers. We say nice things about them. But when everyone says anything nice about me, I'm thinking I'd like to meet this guy. I mean, he's just, wow. Okay. I am older uh, than Brian. I'm an older brother and a lot wiser due to it. I just want to say that because obviously he's made you aware that I'm an older brother and significantly older than him. And, and uh, I mean, I'm amazed what God has done here. Yeah? Are you encouraged? Wow. I mean, it is remarkable. And you can kind of live through it and, and miss the kind of like, wow, there was once this group of people that started out and they're like, you're here, well done. I said this on Friday at the prayer meeting. Well done. When I was last here, this was just a bit of land. Give yourselves a round of applause. True. It's fantastic to be travelling with my uh, one and only beautiful wife, Deb Tibbet. There she is. Give us a wave, darling. Okay, okay. Deb just loves the limelight. She really would love to be on the stage with me, sort of saying, hi, everyone. Or she'd prefer to sit there with Rachel. So we'll let you work that one out. Darling, I just wanted to say, I mean, she is amazing, but we had this little conversation. I said, do you, how many times do you want to listen to the preach? And um, I said, look, you could listen all four times. She said, could I go for one? And I went, really? So we negotiated at two. Okay, so Deb's here, and then she's travelling me to the, the, the other site, which I've just been at. So, hey, fantastic to be with you. And... Um, yeah, I'm, really, I'm a pastor of a church, very similar to yours. We have four venues and six meetings on a Sunday. Uh, and uh, we do a mix of video, pre-recorded and live preaching. Uh, at, at our worst point, we're doing five live a day. That, that kills your pastors in the end. They nearly killed me in the end. They're just the adrenaline, you do that five times. So we, we cut back to just three so you do four now. So, wow, we're impressed. Okay, I'm impressed. So it's quite a challenge. You preach a lot four times. Um, but it's also great to create space for growth. And I can see, because I was in the first meeting, and I can see this meeting, why you needed two meetings. Yeah, okay, so that's good. Well done. And we're here to reach people for Jesus, not just to entertain Christians. Yeah, that's what I say to my church. Sorry if that offends anyone, but I'm leaving soon. So, hey, okay. So, well done. Well done for building the building. Well done for having vision for people. Jesus loves people. He loves that you're in the room, but he would love for you to have other problems where more people are following Jesus. Uh, this is a picture of my church. Uh, as I have led it for 27 years. It's a very diverse church. So it's London, inner city London. It's a third um, black African, black African British, some immigration, second generation. Um, so my son's uh, uh, youngest son, Sam, he's 22. His girlfriend is black British Nigerian. And so uh, a lot of African. Then we have a third Caribbean. Um, black British Caribbean predominantly, and then, uh, but some, you know, came with Windrush and came over in the 50s and 60s to help the empire. Oh my gosh! And then, um, 
And then there's some white people around, okay, about a third white. And um, as I remind my church, I am white. Brian said to me earlier, we're traveling after the first meeting, and he said, you dress like a white person, but you lead a black majority church. And I answered to him, I am a white person. Okay, I mean, I'm, I'm just, so why am I not going <laughs> to turn up am I, with my sort of Jamaican sort of football shirt on? I mean, that's not being cross-culturally aware. That is wearing someone else's football shirt. I mean, it's just so, I say that to my church because when you're building a multicultural church, it is, it is challenging because tradition, culture, language, it's all different. So I, I say, if you want to join my church, we're just going to, you're going to feel uncomfortable some of the time uh, because the way you do weddings, the way you do funerals, it's just so, so different. So in a white culture, when two families come together, it's really these two people fall in love. When an African uh, um, couple come together, it's two families. It's more family than it is the individualistic worldview that many of us carry. So just so that's, that's my church and... Um, it's, it's a good church, I hope. <coughs> but I also have the privilege of serving New Frontiers, which is now an apostolic fellowship after Terry Virgo, our founding father, handed over to sons and we started a whole range of new families of churches. And Brian and Rachel lead one called Confluence, which is a part of the family. And uh, Our role, Deb and I, we literally go around the world seeing what God's doing. I mean, what a great job. Eh? I mean, you have to work hard to be offered to do that but hey you might as well enjoy it when you're doing it so we literally until covid hit we would be you know in, so just before covid we were in zambia zimbabwe and south africa on a three-week trip in fact as covid was coming across the world we watched it happening uh, phoning our local church in london you know it's coming you know it's coming yeah um and we had to close for over a year you couldn't meet in groups or you couldn't meet publicly in the uk that's the way our government handled it. So, uh, so that's what we do. So for example, in January, we were back in South Africa and I would be preaching on a Sunday in Clarence, which is right next to the Lesotho border. And we'd be seeing what God's doing there. And there's a church there. It's led by a guy called Steve Oliver that really leads a family of churches called Regions Beyond that are part of the wider New Frontiers family. And the, the fruitfulness of his ministry in that church is that in the local uh, community, they had a vote on what to call and where to, how to name the local community and they named it after the church. The church had had so much influence. So amazing, things like that. And so you get a huge privilege to just go around and hang out and see what God is doing. We were just about to go to Russia in February and Dave and Scylla are Devonish. Some of you will know Dave's one of my fathers in Christ. He... Um, he was just about to go and on the Sunday afternoon, they're flying out on Monday, Deb and I had a call with him and Scylla and we're talking about, he's saying, do you think we should go to Russia? And we concluded that we didn't have peace. So great disappointment to our Russian speaking brothers and sisters. We had to say, we're not coming. We made the right decision on that one. Okay, because then the war broke out. Uh, and so Deb and I would have been in Kiev in May, 2019. So we have walked down, if you've watched it on the news, we have literally walked through the, you know, you see the politicians walking, you know, sort of showing their support, which I think is good. Um, we've walked down that road with our friends, Natasha and Andre. I've got a picture on my phone. I could show you. That's walking down, the four of us walking down the, the main street in Kiev. And uh, 
We were there in uh, May 2019. They fled from the east in 2014. Uh, so when the separatists came into the east and took Crimea, they had to flee for their lives in a car with their three young kids. They left their home and the church that they built, a, a lovely building, the separatists took over. So they lost everything. Their church, their house, they fled to Kiev and they were there and they had just re-established. Just think about this. These are believers that are in our wider family. I can't get my head into it. I can't emotionally kind of engage with it. I'm kind of, I find it difficult. Uh, it's one of the most difficult things in the role I do, actually, is you go to different parts of the world and it's amazing and everyone's got life issues and challenges, but at the same time, you're, you're going, wait a minute, there are people in our family, they haven't got anywhere to live. Um, <laughs> and, um, and they just got established and then the Russians, you know, came in. And, uh, you know, it would be two months ago in February, they are in Kiev, they're making a decision to speak on the phone. Do they leave? And in the end, they decided to leave. And then we lost contact with them for three days. These are friends of ours. This is, you know, we've been in their home. Yeah? And for three days, we can't hear anything. I don't sleep very well, I have to confess, but so I'm thinking about, are they getting out? And in the end, we hear that they make it to the West. And um, Andre sends a little video to me. This is where we're living now, which was a small room, no bigger than about this. And there were eight of them in there. Yeah? He said, we've made, we've got safety. And then he told me the story of how they got out. They were going down a road and uh, basically the Russian shoulders were coming down and cars were turning around and he felt in God to keep going. I mean, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I could to hear God that clearly at that moment but he's and they got out took them three days and now they're in Krakow where we have a church that's supporting refugees in Poland and they're living in a hostel and so you know and they are you know as you would expect pretty 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 stretched and they're a part of our family and I want to thank you for your generous contribution from Confluence and from other churches within our wider family. We've raised about $1.5 million to, and we're literally feeding hundreds of people. So we, at one point, we were praying for, uh, I need to move on. And we were praying for the, all the believers in Maripol, you know, where they're, they're still, they're little, they're holding out in that. Well, we had about 700 people in three church buildings. So that's the type of thing you get involved in as well. So you get to see what God's doing around the, around the world. Colossians 1.6 the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world, okay? But you also get pulled into things like that. So it's a huge, it is a responsibility, but it's a huge privilege. Oh, my days, look, I've, I've gone on too long. I always do this. When I preach, I get longer and longer, yeah? Yeah, it doesn't get better, but it gets longer. Okay, so <laughs> we better read the passage. Okay, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the, to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and when you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory.
This is a letter that Paul wrote from prison to a church that he had planted in Acts 19. So he knows these people. He, know, he actually led them to Christ. And it fascinated me as I was preparing this message to see that he spends the first part of this letter that becomes a circle letter to many churches actually describing all the spiritual blessings it is to be a Christian. So he's actually preached the gospel there. So he's writing to believers about the wonder of the gospel. And he writes to them and says, look, these are all the spiritual blessings. And he lands with his verses 11 to 14. He also writes in prisons to a church in Rome, Romans. That's a church he's never been to. But he writes to believers there and says, you know, I want to come and I want to preach the gospel to you. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So Paul's in prison. He's writing to people. He's writing to believers. And he writes them about the gospel. And I, used to, I think, wait a minute, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Surely you, you present the gospel to people that are not believers. Which, of course, you do that. But Paul in prison, when writing to people who he's visited and planted a church and those that he had a church he wants to go, so say, I'm going to write to them about the gospel and remind you about the gospel. And I was thinking, we, 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 we very quickly can forget the wonder of the gospel, can't we? I think it's probably very human of us to suddenly just drift away from that, the awe of the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why... Um, when they crossed the Jordan, they said, we'd better set up a little Ebenezer and get some stones so that people will remember what God did in the past. Or even in 1 Corinthians 11, when we break bread together, these words is what Paul writes. He says, this is my body, talking about Jesus, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Or this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So something that these great apostolic leaders and writers, they realise as believers, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Because you can become a Christian and believe it, but boy, you can be dull in God. Yeah? Because you can lose that first love of the wonder of what Jesus has done in your life. And so I want to preach the gospel to you today. I want to tell you some, about some good news. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read those couple of verses again. Because I don't know about you, you've probably forgotten them already, yeah? But it says in verse 13, you and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed and when you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So you start by hearing. You actually, to respond to God, you have to hear something. It says, when you heard the message of truth and the gospel of your salvation, I don't know. Can you remember when you heard the gospel for the first time? Um, I grew up in a Christian family. My mum and dad, are, I mean, they're still going on with God. My dad is 86. He's recently handed over leadership. He's not leading anything, but he's been kind of like a, a leader contributor in his whole life. And that is, my brother's a pastor. I'm a pastor. We're kind of like family. We're all in. 
I'm a kind of, some people say to me, I'm intense. I don't think I am, but I probably am. Okay, it's intense. I'm, I'm like, if this is real, if this is true, if Jesus is raised from the dead, wow, come on, let's give it all. Because if he isn't, we, as Paul says, we should be pitied beyond all men because we've given our life to a lie. So we've either given our life to a lie or we've given it to the truth. And if we've given it to the truth, it should change everything. And I grew up in a Christian family. I went to church. I used to sit on the back row. I was a back row in the youth group. Back row is a dangerous place in the church. God particularly wants, he's after people that sit near the back. So just, okay, because he loves everyone and he's, he's, he's looking at you and he sees you. And I was a back row attender of a church. And I was basically there and I was, just, I was a young man. I, I mean, the, I was just interested in the girls in the youth group. I mean, that was as shallow and as deep as I went. I was there and I used to sit on the back row and I used to, I, was, I didn't realise at the time I was a leader and I used to lead the youth group against the pastors. So we'd go to the youth camp, things you're doing, and I'd get all my mates together and I'd literally go, okay, we're going to resist the gospel, guys. Let's stand together. We know what the pastor's about. They want to tell us about Jesus, but we're not going to fall for that, are we? I mean, literally did. And we were kind of, it's was shocking. But there you go. That's leadership for you. And uh, until one day, a friend of mine got killed on a motorbike accident. I was 18. He was 19. I didn't know him well. I knew the family. And I went to the funeral. I sat on the back row. And I thought... Wow, so I, knew, I understood the gospel. But it's when you're young, you think you're going to live forever, don't you? And suddenly, bang, eternity is brought into sharp focus. And I, I sat in the back and I said, a very arrogant thing to say as a young man, but it's just true. I said, I'll give God a chance. Wow, if you give God a chance, he loves you so much, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna go for it. So, and then what happened is I, I, I'd heard the gospel but I thought, if I'm going to give my life to something, I really want to make sure that I'm giving it to something that's got foundation. So for six to nine months, I investigated the Christian faith intensely, particularly the resurrection of Jesus. And I got to a point where I felt it was easier to believe, just on factual evidence, that Jesus was raised from the dead than he wasn't raised from the dead. And I was literally sitting in a preach, just like this in a church auditorium. I was sitting there, and the pastor, my pastor Peter Ledger was preaching. I'm not listening to a word because I'm in the valley of decision and I'm thinking, it's true. I believe he's raised from the dead, but if I follow Jesus, what will my mates say? Because I'm the guy that has said, let's not follow this Jesus guy, okay? And in the end, I felt God say to me, I died publicly on a cross, yeah? And so if you think you're a a man, that's what I only say, if you're a tough young man, you think you've got, then it takes more courage to follow Jesus publicly than to just sort of kind of not make that step of faith. So I literally, I made the step of faith. Boom, wow! It went from theory to experience. I was born again. Suddenly in a moment, it was like I was forgiven. My past was, it was just like amazing. Do you remember that day? I do. I was so happy. And I walked, but the meeting ended. I don't know what happened. And I walked over to my pastor. I shook hand and I said, I want to be baptized. I'd done my research. I meet Christians nowadays. I have them all in my church where they're Christians, but they're not baptized. I don't get it. They're saying things like, I'm waiting for God to call and speak to me about getting baptized. I think, read the book. It doesn't say that. It says, believe and be baptized. You don't have to hear God. He's spoken in the words. So get baptized. It's important because it, it's a public 
identification. It doesn't make you a Christian, but it's, if you're here and you're a believer and you're not baptised in water, go for it. She's just been obedient to what the scripture teaches. So, but I would have, I literally, I said, I want to be baptised. And then uh, I stopped swearing. Uh, I was in the work, worked on the shop floor. I stopped swearing overnight. So I, I was justified and quite a lot of sanctification happened. There were other areas of sanctification that took a little bit longer. Um, and still, I'm a work in progress. Uh, and I started tithing immediately. Just started tithing. In fact, by the age of 25, 26, when I went full time, I was told by the treasurer of the church I gave more money than anyone else in the church. Yeah? I'd done well in business and things like that. Because it's true, everyone. He's risen from the dead. It should radically change your worldview and your relationships, how you raise your kids, uh, how you spend your time, what you do with your money. And I say to my church, I hope I don't offend anyone, I say, look, the worst place is to live in the lukewarm foot in both camps. You know, okay, I've got to keep my options here. I'm going to keep my options in the world and I'm going to be... And particularly on Easter Sunday in my church, the black community will come out culturally and I preach. So I could literally be preaching one of our meetings where it would be 95% black and the white guy comes up with grey hair and I give it to them gospel full on I literally say it's great you're here this week we'd like you here next week and if you're here because you're just applying in a, like it's an insurance policy you have totally misunderstood the gospel and its goodness and its purpose and some of them come back next week not all of them that's okay you're free to leave my church as well okay really important that you can leave a church um, so you have to hear something uh, in Romans 10, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Yeah, the picture there is a watchman on a city wall. Uh, the men are gone to battle. He's looking, watchman, and he's looking for a report from the front. Is it coming good news or bad news? And hopefully it's good news, but that means the victory is won. If it's bad news, then the city's going to get ruined. So you're looking. In fact, to understand good news, you also have to understand bad news, don't you? you have to understand that you were really a long way from God. I don't know about you, I didn't think that when I was 19. I compared myself to other people. I'm not as bad as other people. In fact, I'm, you know, particularly in our culture, humanistic culture, which says that we're generally good, where the Bible says that we're generally bad. And so we come in and I kind of used to think, there's God and there's Steve Tibbet. And then there are some people that are better than me. And there's clearly quite a lot of people that are worse than me. So total misunderstanding of the gospel. I mean, the Bible talks about that when our sin is washed away, it's like taking it away from the east to the west, doesn't it? That is how far we are from God, a holy God. And so if you understand how desperate your need was, you're far more grateful, which is why sometimes when people have had a really tough background, they understand the grace of God so much more. And so therefore, if you've had a kind of stable upbringing like I did, you can think that you kind of got it together. Well, you haven't. So you have to hear the message, then you have to believe it. Literally believe that Jesus was the Son of God, crucified, taken upon the sin of the world, upon himself, and then risen from the dead, as Romans 1 says, proving him he was the Son of God. And you want to start in grace, and you want to continue in grace. This is another thing. I've picked that up in this church, that the message of grace is well, it's good, good foundation here. That's great to see. Because so often what happens is that our value is dependent on our performance rather than our value depending on his performance. 
And so we kind of start there because when you become a Christian, you remember that day when you turned from your sin, you put your trust in Jesus. At that point, you come with, oh man, an awareness and admitting what you're not and receiving free salvation. And then what happens is you start to grow and you want to become more like Jesus, which is a good thing, and you start making good choices, but then you muck up a bit and therefore you feel bad about yourself and you forget that you started way further back. And therefore your response to become more like Jesus is in response to grace, not to earn the love of God. And it's such an important message and so often we can kind of, kind of think how God views us depending on how we're doing. Well, if you're going to do that, you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time. So don't do it. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? <laughs> it's not, it's, if it was only that simple, Steve. But you have to, as Ephesians 2 says, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. And so it doesn't matter how much money you've got, your upbringing, your heritage, your education, your cultural bias, background, any issues of legacy in your life, that, that, that doesn't make you acceptable to God. It's Jesus. You are in Christ. Wow. Let's just think about that for a moment. So it's just about Jesus. All I've got to do is admit my need and then I've got salvation for my sin. I've got eternity secured. Did I tell you, I can't remember, so I've preached this so many times now. Did I tell you what happened after I got saved and I told my pastor about, um, I want to be baptised. Did I tell you what I did next? Okay, I'll tell you. And then I walked out of the church building and I skipped across the car park. (laughs) Oh yeah, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I've been forgiven. I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah? I was so happy. 40 years ago. Do you know? I'm still skipping. I'm still, I just skip with more understanding now. Yeah? I'm not very good at skipping, as you've just seen. But I, because when you hear and when you believe, then this remarkable thing happens. It says here, you are marked with the Holy Spirit. So God Himself takes your heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh. Wow, I just wonder at that a moment, a bit of awe and wonder. So the Holy Spirit that hovered over creation, the Holy Spirit that fell on prophets and kings, the Holy Spirit that fell on Jesus, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised, John 14, the comforter, counsellor, the Holy Spirit that was promised, that was promised in Acts 1, Five, that will give you power to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit that fell, Acts 2. The Holy Spirit then, then Peter got up and preached the gospel. There's this regeneration. Where you, you're born again, is the phrase. I'm very happy to be a born again Christian. Nicodemus says, what do I have to do, you know, to inherit eternal life? You need to be born again. Well, what do you mean? And you're going back to my mother's womb. And he's trying to understand it. No, you don't have to go back. You have to have this spiritual birth where God's Holy Spirit seals the moment. And what happened, the Holy Spirit, when it breaks into your life and you become a Christian, it does these three things, at least these things at the same time. It deals with your past. It secures your present, so you have God with you. And it secures your future. So the Holy Spirit, when that moment of sealing, sorts out the past, secures your future, 
and you're present. It's remarkable. In fact, the picture of a seal is like the signet ring. You know, we've all watched the movies, haven't we? And when the emperor or the king puts it in the, in the candle wax, yeah, and goes, I seal this letter or whatever, my command, yeah. And so behind the sort of picture of a seer, what Paul's doing here is he's trying to communicate a number of things to us. For example, well, it's authentic. So you seal, you put that on, that says this is an authentic, it's come from the commander or the king, yeah? So what happens is when the spirit is in your heart, it means you know that you know that it's true. Or as Romans 8 put it, the spirit himself testified with our spirit that we are God's Children, and therefore we cry, Abba, Father. We can approach the Holy One because we've got God's Spirit in us. Wow. Two, it protects. The Holy Spirit protects. So uh, when we were in Lesotho, we were staying on a farm, uh, just outside Lesotho in South Africa, we were staying on a farm and Stephen, Heather, Oliver, um, their hospitality was amazing. Brian and Rachel's hospitality is amazing. We just go around just scoring marks on the, all the apostles and their hospitality and Brian and Rachel are right up there, okay? But no, I'm joking. And, but anyway, then they had some jam for us and I was having toast and I had to open the jam jar and it, I couldn't open it because of this, the seal there. And it's there to protect the jam and I ripped it off and uh, enjoyed my toast. Um, and... Uh, so it protects. It's a mark of ownership, the seal. This is, comes from the emperor, the king. Actually, our mark is it comes from the King Jesus. So you are mark, you are Christian. You're in Christ. And so in that sense, your ownership is you're not your own. The Bible uses phrases like you're a servant of Christ. You're a slave to Christ. Wow, you're owned by someone other than yourself. Wow, that, that, dwell on that for a moment. It brings security, assurance to your faith. So like when they put the seal on the tomb, not that it kept Jesus in the tomb, but they used to do that because it would protect the body. Now obviously the seal was broken and Jesus was raised from the dead, but the principle is there that it brings assurance that you are, you're a Christian. And it gives authority. So when Pharaoh appoints Joseph as prime minister, what he does, it says, it says he takes his signet ring and he gave it to Joseph. And so Joseph would walk around and say, got the ring, got the ring, which gives me authority. So therefore, when you preach the gospel, you're not preaching out of your own strength or you're sharing your testimony or, or you just as an aside, said you had a great time at church on Sunday. Uh, what you're doing is you're speaking with authority that's not yours. When you pray for the sick, when you cast out demons, you are, you've got the authority, the Holy Spirit says that you've got authority. So you hear, you believe, and then you're marked in the Holy Spirit. I, don't know about, I, I never want to lose the wonder of the gospel. I don't want to become mature. If you met mature Christians, they're very often dull. You know, I want to be kind of fully engaged in the kingdom, the church and pursuing Jesus as best I can. Yeah, I hope you do as well. And then Paul just changes the picture and with this we'll land, we'll just change this bit and then goes to a monetary term. He talks about deposit and inheritance. Um, in London where I live, you, uh, they've just changed the zoning so that to get from where we live to the church office is about a mile and a half away. You have to go across the South Circular and to do that it costs you $15 every day. I was like, you're kidding me. 
So I've got an old diesel car. And have you ever had this experience where you, there's a sort of government policy and you agree with it in principle, like it's good to breathe clean air in your city, that's a good thing, until suddenly it's going to cost you $15 every day and you think, I'm not sure I agree with this policy so much. But anyway, so what happened? And I've got that tension going on and I've got this whole car thing. I don't want to spend money in the car because I'm a saver, not a spender. And, um, <laughs> and then I think, i just got to do it. So I, I had to buy a new car and to secure the new car, I had to put a deposit down. And the, the car still hasn't come. Okay, so there's delaying cars at the moment. So I've put a deposit down and I'm going to get the car when I get back in, a, in about a week's time and I've secured the future car. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It secures. And then he talks about inheritance. You should never plan your life on the inheritance you may or may not get from your parents. It's not good stewardship and it doesn't honour your parents. That's why when the prodigal son asks for the money before he comes back. Terribly dishonoured, he's basically saying, I want my father dead because I want his money. So both at a pastoral practical level, it's not a good thing to do. But here, in the spiritual picture, the deposit secures your inheritance, your eternity. So you are living in eternal life already. So it's like, it's not like I've been saved, eternal life is coming when I go to heaven. You're living it already. Why? Because you've been marked with a deposit, the Holy Spirit, and it authenticates that it's true, that it's true. Hallelujah. The response today, it should lead to worship and praise. It should remind you of the goodness, of the, the greatness of the good news of the kingdom. For some of you, it may even be your day when it's you go, oh no, this is true for me. So you kind of, maybe your response is, I want to be one of those Christians. Wow, okay. If that's what it is, I'll have some of that. Um, some of you may need to recommit your life to Christ and say, okay, I know it's true. I've drifted here, but I'm in. It should lead to praise in all our lives at the wonder of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your work in each of these people's lives. We pray and ask that we would never lose the wonder of the good news of Jesus, that we were once far, far away, dead in our sin. And then God loved us, pursued us, ultimately died for us, saved us, forgave us, poured out His Holy Spirit into us. What a great good news this is. Help us live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.